Welcome to the Service Management Leadership Podcast with Jeffrey Tiefertiller. Welcome back to the Service Management Leadership Podcast. We have a great guest, Rory Canavan, frequent guest on this show. I don't know, it's three, four, five times. Rory, how I mean, goes it? I, it's good, Jeffrey. I'm, I'm just waiting for the for the sort of presence in the post for all the times I've been on here by now. I mean, I, you know. I know. We need to we need to have some kind of like gold member podcast goes uh, guest versus you know the bronze for those first timers or something some sort of vip t-shirt or something yeah, yeah that would do it I, when when we hit it big we'll make sure yeah. that you have all of the kits using uh british terminology of our stuff that you you can ever dream of oh well swag has made it over here so i would know what you mean if you'd use that so yeah all right okay all right swag up to be honest, Roy, I think I'm a little old to use the word swag, but that's a different story. <laughs> that's a different story. When, when I have teenagers, they, they remind me of, hey, you're too old to say that. All right. <laughs> so today we have a great show for everyone. From the 2021 Global IT Asset Management Study by Deloitte, we want to give them full credit up front. I have gleaned 10 facts and figures that I want to get your, the expert opinion on. Does that seem reasonable? All right. Okay. Let's rock and roll. So, and these are taken directly from the Deloitte study. I'm not adding any editorial until we keep going. So nearly 90% of the respondents who are mainly executives believe that the rapidly changing business regulatory and technology environment is making it more challenging to embrace IT asset management maturity in their organizations. 90% seems reasonable, doesn't it? Okay, well, I would say probably 88% of those may not actually be in IT. Right. So they they would have a, shall we say, an outside view of the world around ITERM and SAM. Um, it could be that they have a vague idea that, you know, we've got a tool in place or, or we got audited recently and we didn't come out the audit quite as badly as we thought we would. And maybe that is their sort of service level appreciation of where um, SAM and ITAM actually starts and stops. So um, yeah, that's that 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 sort of figure wouldn't surprise me. But um, yeah, to that point, we have to we have to get past this sort of um, tortured assault course of thinking that SAM is an ELP generation machine. Right. We've got to if if you want to see material results on the IT estate. You've got to get agile. You've got to sort of pick your battles and win them and get better data in support of the ELP. So, yeah, there's there's plenty of scope for, for low-hanging fruit in SAM and ITAM that would elevate that maturity along the curve. Especially when we think of rapidly changing business environment, A, regulatory rapidly changing environment, B, and rapidly changing technology environment, C. Those three seem like if you're an executive, IT or otherwise, you're afraid if you don't know what assets you have, include hardware and software, the money spent, and software represents what percentage, Rory, of an IT budget? It's like 10 to 20%, right? It's gotta, it's gotta be a sizable chunk, I would say, yeah. Um, and, and it depends how you subdivide it, whether you actually include the support and maintenance as part of the software. Right. Um, yeah, but I'd, I'd say it's, you've, you've got to be even pushing 30, 30, 30% potentially. Um, I, I guess, it get, it, again, it depends on the state and nature of the business that you work for. 
Um, so, uh, yeah, and it's, it's, it, I, I appreciate that changing mindset as we go to the cloud, you're not paying technically for software anymore, you're paying for services. And there is that transition. What are you doing with your existing licenses that are still fit for purpose and can be brought to the cloud? How do we, how do we get value from that? That's, that's another challenge out there. Right. And then for the business and for Sam as a whole, if we go down that sort of FinOps route, um, how are we subdividing that service charge back to the business? Because if you do want to maintain those sort of value streams and total cost of ownership, you want to charge the IT expenditure back to the area of the business that's making the most use out of the service. So, um, yeah, good luck. It, it, it isn't easy, but it's one of those paths that you're going to have to charge. Otherwise, everything is going to be centrally funded. And um, then IT has to square off against the business to say, you've got to pay for this. Right. And let's be honest, if you don't know what you have, you don't know what you're paying for, and there's a disconnect between what you're paying for and the value or outcomes you're desiring, you even get those fulfilled, right? Well, well, totally, yeah. Um, it's, you know, your, your e-portal, for example, in a, in a retail environment is where, is the, the, the IT service that is going to give you money. Um, your, I don't know, your, your ERP system where the toys are made potentially that's the one that's going to be costing you money right but but you may not necessarily have made that causal link between sort of base expenditure and then profits at the portal system as well so um it's 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 a myriad of, of calculations and and, and com comparisons and contrasts that you have to make to make sense of what value the it delivers to an organization oh yeah and so let's let's follow it up with number two stat number two the vast majority, 84% of respondents believe that they lack a truly effective ITAM initiative in place in their organization. That's okay. pretty surprising that 84 are willing to say, 84%, hey, we, we don't do this well internal. Okay. Well, again, and, and that I would argue depends on where they are on the maturity yes. curve. If they're, if they're constantly reacting to audits, uh, if they haven't got a, a base SAM suite in place, which will give them the ERPs, then that's gonna be a problem. But equally then understanding that um, the contributing data towards that ERP is probably in other systems, is probably governed by other people. You can't just put it on the shoulders of one or two people who look after a SAM suite and expect a revolution. Um, I was thinking about this before we, we started the presentation. Um, service management has grabbed that mantle of um, presenting itself as the acceptable face of IT to right. the business. And it's, it's had a head start on Sam. So, so that idea that, um, yes, we've got it all sorted here. We've got very few incidents. We've got very few problems. Life is good. And then, oh, the licensing? <laughs> I don't know about that. You know, that's, that's Sam and ITAM, isn't it? And that's, that's where the money is. Oh, yeah, that's where the money is. So so that idea that, um, you know, maybe maybe there has to be a closer link between the two. We have to sort of track those SAM values and SAM goals to IT service goals and to business goals. And, and I think once that union takes place, that shift in perspective that SAM needs to do and also service management needs to, to make, um, 
there might be more of an effort, might be more of a cohesion through the company to actually make serial change to run lean IT estates. So here's what I see playing out. You tell me on this topic. Of that 84%, I'm going to guess 83.5% have gone through a recent software audit. They get hit with a big number or they have to sign the check for a big renewal. And they're like, we need to stand up this function. We need to stand up this function. And then something else takes precedence and then it just goes on down the way. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think that's about right. And it, and it keeps sinking down and down and down until the next audit. Yes. And then it goes up and up and up again. And then they realize that the time to make the change to the data that contributes to the ELP was six months ago, right. not 30 days prior to the generation of the ELP. And yeah, it is, it is that sort of zigzag sort of approach you just hope gradually there is some ascent yes. and and some of it sticks from each time so the second the third the fourth audit we are definitely putting something that's permanent in place that renewals or just understanding the security in your estate people don't realize that sam is one of the biggest advocates or biggest um, ways of helping to secure the it estate because your SAM tool will understand your patches. It'll understand what version, like, hey, we have 2003 server. We need to do something. That all comes out of your SAM tool and like how you're using those licenses, right? Totally. Well, I mean, if you, if you are designing that, that information security management system, you understand where the data should reside in your organization. Invariably, that's on some sort of electronic means, on some sort of software that is that accesses it. And typically that access comes from dedicated user licenses. Um, so being able to track the licenses means you can track the access. Right. And also then, um, you know, tying in HR data as well to make sure that licenses don't sit with ex-employees. Basic, basic groundwork, fundamental grabbing of data, which Sam is very, very good at, should be being fed, not just into those ERPs, but out into the organization, into adjacent IT disciplines too. Yep. I'm with you. Risk, all that stuff. Plus, I have a plus we have to think about the idea of technical debt. I'm a big uh, proponent of, of addressing the technical debt. And I think Sam, of the, that 90% we talked about earlier, it helps you understand your technical debt where some, you know, just to make sure we're aligning the dollars or pounds or euros with what we should be doing software hardware whatever it, it ensures that alignment yeah yeah um and, and and again i'm just thinking of the war stories um that we mentioned just before we kicked off here yeah. if there is a business or an it need to you know live with software beyond n minus two or three or four fine but let everybody know about it um we have a piece of legislation here in the uk where um, it's whether companies um, deal with chemicals or substances hazardous to health, the COSH regulations. Now, in theory over here, you're supposed to keep employee data for um, the life of employment plus two years. And thereafter, it's, it's bare bones facts. It's when you join, what role you fill, date you left, that kind of thing in respect of data privacy. But if you work in a COSH environment, you're supposed to keep the entire um, employment history for an individual for life oh. 
because if they have a, a problem with a particular chemical that is, you know, hazardous to health, and 20 years later they claim that, oh, oh, it's the asbestos gov, you need to pay me a lot of money. Um, you need to be able to have a record to go back and say, actually, he never touched asbestos, he's got no claim to make. But that data will typically reside on a database. And unless you've got some sort of proactive path of managing that data through versions and iterations of databases, then maybe it does make attention, pay attention just to sort of leave it on a server in a corner with a sticker on saying, do not touch HR records for cost purposes, whatever, whatever means or methods you have, um, so that you can live with that technical debt. But that I would say is an exception, not the rule. Just because you can't be bothered upgrading is not a reason to leave everything on Office 98 as an example. Right, or have, you know, 53 BI tools. That's an embellishment. But, you know, to have all these, a lot of organizations don't realize how many they have until they look at their SAMA state. Yeah, I, I, and it's it's easy enough to do. I was in one um, truly enterprise organization and the, the, the number of um, Linux OSs that were bouncing around was was amazing, was amazing and, and totally unnecessary. Yeah, because it means you then, if you need to support it, you're potentially paying X number of organisations for that third level technical support, unless you've got a cast of thousands doing support in house, knowing all those little tips and tricks. Right. So let's move on to uh, stat number three. Another indicator of lack of organisational progress in ITAM is that here's a couple of uh, ones in here. Six out of 10, 61% of respondents are yet to make IT asset management a self-funding program. Nearly half, 45% of all respondents, are those who yet to acknowledge that they are also unlikely to achieve the objective in two years. So 61% says we're not in a... Uh, we're not, it's not a self-funding program. It means we just address it when it comes up. And 45%, which is most of that 61%, says, eh, it's not going to happen in two years. We So we've gone from, we know it needs to happen, to, nah, it's not going to happen. Well, we, we just, again, go back to that thing of being agile, moving away from waterfall, Sam. Yes. It's, like I said, this tortured assault course that we work towards an ELP. If you want to make your SAM or ITAM program self-funding, you start with recycling from day one. Yes. And I was, think, I was thinking about this the other day with, uh, on another call I was on. It's, it's producing this ELP is rather like baking a cake. If you know the eggs or the milk are off, you don't carry on in the hope that the cake is gonna turn out okay. You, you get better ingredients and then you make the cake. The ELP is exactly the same. If you know, your IT estate is not in tip-top condition, get it better. So, so in that recycling or reharvesting activity, you know, you put a SAM or ITAM wrapper around it and it self-funds the program. Right. And it happens year on year on year. Even, even renewals or, or defending audits should pay for itself for self-funding, right? If certainly the first time round, yeah, I mean, this is the thing, we, we all spin to this zenith of, of you know, um, sort of dynamic SAM. Um, 
but I, I guarantee there'll be purchases that will be made four or five years down the line from the original SAM program, whereby it's it's there's still low hanging fruit. Right. I would argue you're always you're always going to have low hanging fruit because the SAM or ITAM function does not have authority over the IT estate to say what can and can't be put on there. But if we control our or if we just said earlier that software contracts make up a huge percentage of the budget. And mm -hmm. we're saying that these audits, most audits are U.S. money between 100,000 and a million, some over a million. You can pay for a lot of headcount with those dollars or euros or, or pounds, right? Absolutely. I, do you mind if I do a bit of flag waving on a particular book that I've recently started reading? No, you do so. Is that a, okay. So it's, um, in fact, hold on there, folks. Oh. He backs his chair out. He gets up. I'm doing a play-by-play. -play. He goes. <laughs> he walks over. Pulls a book off the bookshelf. What is it, Rory? Okay, and here we go. It is Cloud FinOps. I hope that doesn't come back on as backwards on your screen. No, it's there. good. Cloud FinOps. Okay, so this goes back to um, the. You know, it just reinforces the point that you actually made um, that if you make these. Um, changes in the cloud whereby your, your architects can move as quickly around changing architecture um, in the same language that the procurement spend the money on the, on the software itself. If you can get that commonality of language and you can get that flexibility of movement, the idea that you sort of spot the low hanging fruit so the developers all of a sudden are switching off the instances they flash up because they're no longer needed. They were just, oh, I thought I'd flash that up on the fly. One organization, I think there's an example in that particular book, they saved themselves $300,000. That's real money. That's money you can go back to the organization and say, do you know what? We wouldn't mind taking on a couple of guys because we've got the workload to justify it. And we've just saved a load of money. Yep. So in one organization I was in, I did this function for four to six months. I saved them $675,000 by just tying up Here's what license they are charging us for. How many are we using? This is how many, you know, on renewals. This is what the contract says that we get. Are we using these? I mean, just that, that I want to even say menial, manual comparison, that audit is a big harvest for most organizations. Getting into, I'm going to prove, I'm going to make your point for you. Number four on this study, more than half of the respondents, 54%, believe that cost efficiencies can be achieved by reducing overheads from IT asset inventory management, which is a lot of its hardware, software deployments, issue tracking, and patch management. They feel like, hey, we're not doing this, but we could gain efficiencies just by doing the basic blocking and tackling. Yeah, yeah. And I'm again, I, I'm going to nerd out on this as well. So I'm, I'm part of a subgroup within Working Group 21. Um, that looks after the ISO standards for ITAM, and it's around the um, the principle of tagging. Mm -hmm. So resource tags, hardware tags, software tags, oh, yeah. and the, the, the right now it, the original standard came out dash two came out with a view to putting it in front of the software vendors to say, help us guys, help us recognise the software that you produce and and create the tags. And it kind of it was a bit of a damp squib. It didn't it didn't really take at all. There was uh, I think Adobe do something around it. Microsoft used to. I don't know that they do so much anymore. 
and everybody else just went meh you know what's the value in it for us right. but somebody on the group call and i wish i could remember who actually said it because i would have given them a name check but i can't they said what we need is some sort of impetus to go back to the software vendors and say if you don't provide tags for the software we want a 10 percent discount because it's harder to manage the software through the life cycle and i thought that's brilliant god i wish i'd thought of that it's absolutely fantastic but like you say it's those it's those basic um, sort of ideas around recognition of software, of understanding where it's installed, of acknowledging it, of just making it easier to manage makes it easier to work with. And I, I, I wish that message would get through to the software vendors. If, if they made a little bit of an effort, it would go an awful long way. Right. So that's so I have this, this quote that hope is applicable the bad crooks don't understand the laws the great crooks they understand the laws and how to navigate them and i feel the way like with sam the people who understand the rules the best know how to navigate know that oh you can't put that database on that cloud because it it you know it's it costs you way too much because oracle doesn't like their database on azure or whatever right yeah just understanding those those basic rules those found those foundational rules is a huge step forward even though it seems so minor well totally and this and this is where the um the architects you know should be doing some bedtime reading as well i think because they they will know the ins and outs of the capability of the software what it can and can't do i think a, li a little bit of further reading on their part if they understood what you you can and can't do with the software architecturally right then 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 they would uh, they'd be really onto a winner they you know because they could self-heal they could self-serve then at that point potentially um again i was on an engagement um in the us some years ago and a schema had been designed whereby the the live failover for a date for a sql database was another instance of sql and it was Okay, does the use case support that? If it does, we'll we'll pay the extra money for that fresh license. So it is a hot standby. Right. But if it's a cold standby, well, why don't we just sort of um, get the software assurance on that and that will cover the, the failover then? Seems reasonable, right? So yeah, but that that was just I think when the conversations had the architects, they're like, huh, what? Really? We can do that? You know, so. Yeah. yeah. How about putting all your backups in the cloud, making them easy? You know, I mean, <laughs> that's a different story. All right. Moving on to number five, the ability to cover all phases of the IT asset lifecycle. I want to pause right there and give kudos to Rory and Kylie and their team for appreciating, understanding, documenting all the phases of the IT Sam and Ham hardware software life cycle, but also having the, the appropriate processes that go with those life cycle phases, right? Like, like software asset management isn't just one process. Hardware the same. They're not just one process. They're multiple. So let me finish this question. I'll tee it up. I want to give you all kudos because okay. each one of those phases of the IT asset life cycle has sub processes. So the ability to cover all phases of the IT asset lifecycle indicated that there's another significant consideration. Currently, ITAM teams 
have been focused primarily on procurement, deployment, and appropriate usage of the assets, as well as ongoing discovery and license com uh, compliance. However, repositioning the transformational journey, because every organization is on transformation, the highest proportion of respondents, 72%, believe that managing issues related to IC, uh, IT asset decommissioning, which is both hardware and software, is the top area that needs improvement. And that's followed closely by the processes related to IT asset forecasting, pre-acquisition analysis, so on and so forth. A lot of that to say, everybody's been focused on procurement, deployment, and usage, and discovery and license, but they're coming around to, hey, we need to worry about how we decom, how we need to worry about how let's forecast usage, all that sort of thing. Yeah, your your take on that. Sorry for the long windedness there, Roy. Not at all. Not at all. So I think I think the focus that comes out of procurement and deployment is um, driven by service management SLAs because right. nobody wants to get in the way of uh, I've just requested a particular software title. Oh, well, that'll be with you in three weeks. I'm sorry, that's not good enough. I I've got a job to do and I need the software to do the job. So getting fleet of foot around purchasing and deploying software means that service management has honored its SLAs and will worry about the licensing afterwards. And I think that that is that is in large part the root of the problems that software asset management has to face. To your point about the life cycle and getting getting the decom and the, the disposal sorted, yes, we have a process for that. We've got processes for well, we've 44 of them currently templated. Um, but there is that stuff in the middle as well that needs management. And, and just to doff our caps in the direction of ISO, um, the point you made about sort of um, capacity management, sort of forward projections of, of expenditure and all of that kind of thing, that is going to come out of high level quality data once you are well down the SAM maturity curve. It, right. is, it is not a sort of a tick box exercise where we go request, procurement, deployment, disposal, Oh, high-level analytics, ta-da, we've arrived. No, th there is a massive step in, in between all of that. We've just talked about the, the birth of software. We've talked about the death. There's the whole stuff in the middle that needs management, and same goes for hardware as well. So understanding that journey that, that applies to your organization is absolutely vital because that's going to give you the best train of data to, to come up with those statistics then that support the stuff in the middle or is the license management, the renewals, the are we using everything, try to avoid the technical debt? You know, all of that analysis in the middle is, all right, so I think the, the, the coming on and the decommissioning are risk-based. I think the stuff in the middle are, are, is monetary-based because that is where you find the big rewards, even though the other is important and it's risk-based. Yeah, yeah. But just, sorry, just to track back to the, the ISO side of life as well, yes. the, the way to get to those, um, those analytics, if you will, is to put KPIs against your processes, your Sam and Ham processes. So at that point, you've got performance levers against the life cycle, each and every stage of the life cycle. So the point at which and again, it's my favorite example. Um, 
the software request process, the quantity of software drilled down um, or that is used to honor requests from the license pool in a given 30 day session. Right. You might set a marker of 10K a, year, a 10K a month. It's arbitrary, whatever it is. Somebody will say, well, where is it this month? And you can start to do trend analysis month on month and you can start to see spikes and troughs, et cetera. But then somebody's going to come to you and say, what about Microsoft? And then they're going to say, what about 365? What about SQL Server? So being able to dissect that data is going to give you the, the life cycle, not only of a vendor through an organization, but also the applications through, through the life cycle as well. And that's, that's where that is going to be high end sound. The part in the middle is where the, the money is saved, the money is made, and we can project. Because to your point, finding out who's using and who's not using Microsoft Project and reharvesting those is a big deal. Big Ooh. deal. You know what I mean? Like our, our usage is going up, but let's go. I mean, our requests are going up. Let's go see who's using it, right? Yeah, and, and whilst... Microsoft Project as a, as a piece of software cost-wise is not to be sniffed at. Right. There are more expensive pieces of software out there that are assigned on a, on a user-by-user basis as well. So, um, and that's, that's the on-prem stuff, potentially, the on-site yeah. stuff. Stuff in the cloud is, is equally, if not more so applicable, because that is cash. That is cash you're burning if you're not using it. And it's easily adjustable month to month or quarter to quarter. Mm. All right. You know what I'm saying? You can pull those out and your usage goes down and your bill gets less. Mm. So this study says the beginning, the beginning and the end of the IT asset life cycle appears to present the most difficult challenges to respondents. I believe it. Because people know how once it's in, they may not, especially hardware, they know how to manage it. But getting it in in a methodical way and getting it out in a methodical way, that's the hard thing. I've, yeah, I think, I think particularly too, if I, I don't wish to beat up service management, but I, I think, I think <laughs> this it's- This is called the Service Management Leadership Podcast, <laughs> but no offense taken. <laughs> <laughs> but there is, it, it's not just, I think, a procedural challenge. It is also a cultural challenge as well. So that that idea that, it, you, I mean, you could have the best service management processes in place for requisition, purchasing, procurement, et cetera, that don't sort of give regards to licenses and stuff. That's fine too. But if it still takes three to four weeks to get software, as in that particular example I gave at the top of the recording, no wonder budget holders are off down to Curry's or PC World, which is the US, the UK equivalent of Best Buy to, to you guys, um, and and making local purchases for software, which I, I absolutely had. Particularly ironic is that it was for, um, it was an educational establishment and they had something like a 90% discount on Microsoft software. So they paid, I think at the time, it was something like 30 quid for Visio Professional. At the time, at the time it was, these guys were happy to pop down to the the retail store and pay three or four hundred pounds, right? To get just to get the software there and then. So speed was everything. And that's where the service management world, this is my belief, has had a disconnect from their their stakeholders, and it's growing. 
because you know the first thing every service management org should do is go talk to those people that consume their services right and say Ooh. how can we make it easier because amazon does that when you go order something they're like how can we make this as easy as possible you may pay yeah. you know amazon's gone from being a low cost uh marketplace to in the middle but you have lots of choice but you know we need to because consumers are hit on all sides with people trying to make it easy you want to go to the grocery store they're trying to make it easy order it on your phone they'll bring it out to you we in service management have to do the same thing that's my belief we have to make it easy to consume our services easy to request easy to make changes easy to understand the the it estate for the cmdb we have to do that much it can't be an it centric thought process and world anymore yeah yeah and i i think if you go through an exercise in tracking the data um we we used to we did a really interesting um approach when i was at, at college uh, on the the course i was on um we talked about entity relationship management and that entity could be a request, it could be a contract, it could be a software deployment, but each of those entities has a life cycle. Right. And, and the point at which stakeholders engage with that life cycle is where you try and make it as easy as possible. Everybody else is making it easy to consume their services. <laughs> we in the IT world need to do the same. So moving on to question number eight. Okay. The common, the most commonly used ITAM tools that respondents to the survey uh, reported using, first one surprised me at first, but more I thought about it didn't. Uh, Microsoft MCCM, 48% of people use it. ServiceNow, 23% use it. Number three, in-house developed bespoke ITAM solutions, 17%. I read that to mean Excel. Because, you know, there's not like these custom ITAM solutions that a manufacturing company is going to come up with. Anyway, number four is Snow software at 16%, Flexera's fifth at 15%. Any of that surprised you? I guess the SCCM being twice any of the others kind of surprised me. I think, and again, I when I started out in SAM, I, I would say to people who'd come on the courses that I've run, who has a SAM tool in place? And they go, yeah, we've got SCCM. My, my definition of a SAM tool is one that can compare installation data to um, entitlement data. Yes. That, is, that is the default tick in the box. There is no doubt that if you are part of a larger organization, having a, a system like SCCM that can gather inventory data means it forms part of a wider solution. And that is fine too. So I think possibly the one the manner in which the, the question was asked may may have sort of skewed the result there. Um, and to to your point about the sort of in-house developed apps reading aka Excel, I think had somebody actually sort of said, and you can pick Excel, that number would have pushed it up to the top um, as much because the, the the requirement to bespoke report to match those needs means that Excel is great for sort of generating bars and charts and graphs and stuff and just ripping data out of SAM suites um, that, shall we say, have base level um, data output. Um, 
exporting that to Excel and then doing those um, nice sort of fluffy bar charts and pie charts and stuff is uh, uh, means we won't be getting rid of Excel anytime soon. No. So let me let me reconstruct that question differently to you. Okay. Did it surprise you that only fifty four percent of those organizations have a SAM tool like ServiceNow, Snow, or Flexera? No, it doesn't surprise me at all. From the point of view that I did a survey two years ago myself, and it came out at I think around 48% of organizations didn't have any sound tool in place. So that would play quite well to, um, which is quite depressing actually, because that data was taken in 2018. We're now three and a bit, nearly four years down the line. Doesn't seem that much has changed. Nope, and that's why I think if I go back to the first one, that uh, 90%, nearly 90, believe that all these rapidly changing environments make it more challenging for ITAM and SAM. And then we followed up with um, more than half think that it's an important thing to, to invest in, but we're not going to invest in it. So, of course, that, you know, only 54% having a tool. I guess it kind of makes sense. Not that I agree. I mean, I think that ITAM and SAM are the two of the only maybe three or four areas that you actually get hard dollar savings, hard euros, pounds. Like these are, this isn't soft money. This isn't like, oh, you can save three man hours by doing it this way. No, yeah. this is, you get to save one person's FTE salary this month by doing X. I mean, yeah. that's, that's big savings. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So it's, I guess it's just having that imagination to think, can we do this rather than should we do this? Right. And I think if, if you're at that point where, and, and maybe it's one of those cultural things too, where you've been in the organization for 15, 20 years and you've always operated that way and you've not seen beyond the, you know, the corporate shutters as it were, um, to say, uh, okay, well, company company X or company Y over the road, they operate in a completely different way. They've got a more agile approach. They've thrown their arms around Sam and ITAM they're, they're, and FinOps too, and they're making those changes on the fly. And, um, you know, they're, they're trimming their sales accordingly and making good savings as they're doing so. Yeah. And so this next one, number nine, I, I, it kind of dovetails into what you were saying. In general, there's a high level of correlation between the biggest organizational pain points and the engagement of external advisors, consultants, managed service providers. Basically, wherever I have a pain point, I elicit external help. Says organizations where the biggest pain point is around the lack of consistent business processes related to IT asset management, getting to what you're saying, or around ITM organization or talent they seek external assistance in a roughly two thirds the cases, which is kind of funny because we know it's a problem. We're not going to invest in it. Oh yeah. Now let's, let's hire external help with it. You know I mean? Like to me, the logic doesn't, doesn't play out very well. Well, long may it continue because they should be coming <laughs> to my door then at that point, And I'll gladly help them out for a small fee. Not a problem. Not a problem. My, my favorite use case and anecdote, if you don't, mind me uh, saying so Jeffrey oh. was a was an engagement I had not too far away from where I live 
circa a 5,000 seat organization. They had um, Snow software installed. I don't mind telling you that. Um, were complaining that they weren't getting the facts and figures out of it that they wanted. And were giving very serious thought to ripping Snow out altogether and replacing it with another product. We managed to go in and for a 45 day engagement, we gave them an ITAM policy, an operations plan, 15 custom processes, 15 walkthroughs, uh, 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 sort of 15 process racy chart and an ecosystem showing how all the processes fitted together. Um, I went back about 15 months after the engagement just to see how they were getting on. And I spoke to the lady in question who uh, um, who hired me. And I said, I'm always very conscious that I just end up, you know, giving people a, a ring binder on a dusty shelf and, right. it's, you know, nothing happens. So I, I asked her, I said, were the processes of any use? And she said, God, yes, she said. Armed with the process flows and the racy charts, we were able to demonstrate what service management were not doing. Her words, not mine. <laughs> okay. And she said off the back of that, as well as having procurement, she also got given software request, software release. She got promoted, was given configuration and is about to get promoted again. So, and that's 15 months of doing the job right. Have you hired, has she hired you since to fix any other issues? That's the, that's the burning question for me. No, she paid the coffee for the coffee though. So, you know. Oh, yeah. that's, you know, depends if it's, uh, I, I was going to take a shot at a famous coffee chain, but I won't. <laughs> for their $25 latte that's, you know, average. But, yeah, uh, but just, sorry, just to round off on that as well, just in case anybody think I was having a pop at snow, I wasn't, they kept snow software. Right. They kept Snow Software. So once they realized what they should be doing around the tool, the tool was fit for purpose again. So on that, I, I, those that are connected <laughs> with me know I love LinkedIn polls because it's one of the few objective pieces of data points that we have. Mm -hmm. And I did a poll a few months ago and it was like 70% of people have or either are considering or recently considered changing ITSM or ITAM tools. And then I followed it up. That's a big number, right? I followed mm -hmm. that up with why. And most of it was the way it was implemented. You know, and then you follow that up. And it gets back to my previous conversation in the service management world where I think we failed. I, you know, I made that my own problem too. Where, you know, before you put in a tool, let's say, how are you going to use the data? What do you need out of it? Let's start prioritizing backwards from the consumer back to us, instead of now, these tools are put in, well, you get put it put in in your organization, just like it did my last organization, you know? And every organization is so unique that I don't think that, I don't think if I was an organization where people were trying to implement a tool, I would not stand for it. I would be like, uh-uh, we have to reverse our vision on this. Yeah. And, and if you think about it as well, if in a standard um, installation or configuration of a SAM tool, the first output eventually is going to be an ELP, right? right? Think about it too. At what point does, does an ELP actually get used? It's either an audit or it's a contract renewal. Right. That's it. That's it. And, and that is not enough of a business engagement to say to the higher ups, oh yeah, our ELPs now look bright and shiny. So what? You know, 
how does that help me? When you start to sort of get into the weeds operationally about improving the data that contributes to the ELP, that's when salmon ITAM makes a whole heap of difference. And that's when you can start to talk about pounds, shillings and pencils, cents and dollars um, to, uh, to, to help organizations and, uh, and, and make the money go further and offer as well competitive advantage. Right, competitive advantage is big. And when you mention ELP, you mean enterprise license position or something like that, right? Uh, yeah, effective license position. Effective yeah. license position, which is basically, you referred to it, let's take our, our entitlements, what we paid to use against what we're using. Let's do that reconciliation. I know that's an accounting term, but let's match those up, see which ones we're up on, which ones we're down on. Now let's go forward looking and say, okay, what's our projected usage going forward and make sure we calibrate. Did I, did I sum that up acceptably? Yeah, that's, so that's what would take place typically around a contract renewal then at that yeah. point. So you will see what you have installed, what you have in reserve, and then um, any additional or new titles that you may want to um, add to an existing contract. And indeed, you know, there may be some that you want to take off as well, because I guarantee when the vendor comes in and says, we've got product X, we've got product Y, and we've got massive discounts on them, and you really want to buy them now, and you think that's a great figure, but do we want to buy them now? Are we going to use them? And that should be the, 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 the sort of gatekeeper questions that you should be being asked rather than just looking at the figures. So you mentioned DLP, and that gets me my last question. Okay. Around two thirds, really fact that I'll weave into a question, around two thirds of respondents, 64%, go through one or two audits, software audits every year. While 26%, it's a big number, face more than two software audits a year. 26%, more than two, that's a big number. The remaining 10% reported not facing any software audit. 65% reported that they need to make financial settlements every year, of which 51% believe that the monetary amounts involved have a moderate impact, and a further 18% think that the significant impact of the monetary settlements they have to make. So let's recap. Yeah. 26% more than two audits a year. And half of those say that the, the financial settlement is moderate with 18% being, hey, this is significant. Yeah. Those are, those are pretty striking numbers, right? Yeah. And equally, you're taking money out of the future pot of right. the organization. So that, that plan for a whizzy new product or a whizzy new business line or... Um, I, I don't know, um, donations to charity B, whatever it may be, however your company is particularly driven, they go by the wayside. That has to offset the existing settlement and the, the joy of, I, I use an in inverted commas of actually um, dealing with vendors and audits is that once, once you're around a table, the, the scope of actually negotiating refinements is based on the interpretation of the contract. Who do you think has looked at that contract longer? I'm, I'm going with the software vendor lawyers. Yes. Okay. So if, if that's your only frame of reference, your only scope of, of negotiation, you better make sure that the data that sort of went in way back when that contributed to the ELP is owned by you, is fully understood by you, can be interpreted by you, within the confines of that contract, because that's when you can push back and say, no, 
that's not right. Our data supports this point of view. Um, and, and having that absolutely drum tight is vital, is vital. So Microsoft probably does more contracts in a minute than you do Microsoft contracts in a five-year span in oh, sure. an organization. And so I just picked Microsoft. You could choose Oracle or whomever. And so the ability to have somebody in your corner to help on those, I think, is also significant. But given that you mentioned innovation and all the ways you could spend, even just spending it on people to invest in your people and areas that need personnel investment, because what we see is this around in the US, we have a term like a gerbil on a wheel. I don't know if it's in Europe, but what happens is you pay, you borrow from next year with these settlements. So now you're ill-equipped for the next one that comes around, you know, Ooh. because you, you haven't invested, you don't have the money to invest in that area. And so you're always this gerbil on the wheel, never able to catch up. The other thing that I can say for sure that nobody in the software area ever wants to hear, drum, 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 beat, is that once you get audited and you are um, seen or outed as not having your stuff together, once you're at that point, they're going to circle you like sharks. They're, the word will get out and you'll have every software vendor knocking on your door very soon. Totally. Do you agree or disagree? Totally. And not only um, those direct audits, but those, shall we say, aud audits handled by third parties, like one of the big four, for example. Right. So that if, if software vendor A turns to, a, to, turns to one of the big four and says, go audit that company over there, be very careful that six months down the line that they're not there representing software vendor B. That's true. Because they know the last audit was that god awful. The idea that, oh, we can get repeat business here if we if we reproach software vendor B and then we've got a ready pool of willing victims. Because if you're bad for Microsoft, there's a fair chance you'll be bad for Oracle, for IBM, for VMware, for SAP. The 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 smell of the smell of badness, if you will, will pervade through your entire IT state. It won't just be localized to one given vendor. Well, we all, I have a saying, because I have two teenagers, we all do what we're incentivized to do, okay? Mm -hmm. So let's say you're one of the big four, and you, you hit it big on an IBM audit, they don't have their stuff together. When you leave that, the first thing you're going to do is find all of your clients that, that, software, that, that have software in that enterprise, and you're going to call them all up and say, I think we have a live one here. I think we, we can hit them for another 100 grand, 200 grand, 300 grand, a million. And until you get the ship back in order and prove that, hey, it's a waste of time auditing us, you're going to get audited a lot. You know, when it said 26% face more than two audits, I bet, I bet it's over 10% that get three audits in a year. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I bet there's that 10% that get audited a lot. So now I'm going to turn the question back on you, Rory. If you're getting audited a lot, what would you do to solve the issue? I'd, um, I'd employ a consultant to help me out. <laughs> exactly. I would figure out, let's stop the bleeding and show that we have our stuff together, right? Yeah, 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 totally. Now, if you haven't got the resource in-house, that's fine. You go and find the resource, either in a consultative capacity. But to that point too as well, Jeffrey, it is within your right 
uh, as part of the audit of, of audit terms and conditions, if if you are experiencing those revolving door audits, the same the same auditor is back again and again and again. It's within your right to say no. Go back, go back to that um, that software publisher that's insisting on the second or the third or the fourth audit and say pick another auditor um, because you don't have to accept the third party audit company that is put before you. And particularly if they seem to be circling like sharks, like in, in such a sort of avaricious fashion. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's and that is one of the nice things that um, Kylie recently did with the, the process case as well, just to sort of do a, bit, a little bit of flag waving um, was to come up with a vendor. We call it a vendor audit value stream because it's, it, it touches on so many processes. You couldn't reasonably just call it a process. It's more like an epic. Um, so that ships as part of the kit. If you want to get together a, a plan of attack, it's there, it's part of the kit, have at it. Um, yep. But one thing we absolutely recommend within having that vendor out audit value stream is that you have some sort of vendor audit playbook. So you know what you can and can't do with the software, where and when and how you're doing it. So that when it comes down to sitting down at the table and somebody tries to hoodwink you with a term and condition, you can say, no, actually, Mr. Customer, what that means, or Mr. Auditor, what that means is our interpretation of it here. And we're comfortable with that. And we're happy to go to court over it. Yep. And most, one thing I really enjoyed about having Pam Fulmer, the attorney on the this podcast, yeah. is how, how reticent the software publishers are for seeing their name in court documents of suing one of their customers. Because... If you're Oracle, all right, Oracle is probably not a good one, but if you're Tibco, you're not going to want to be seen as this aggressor. That's not a way to, for your salespeople to make more sales. It's, it is definitely the nuclear option, isn't it? And yeah. um, the I'd, I'd hat tip to, to Pam, she's, she's got some great war stories. She's definitely worth plugging into the next time she's on the podcast. Um, but that, that Diageo case um, that we had in the UK that sort of, made its way over to the US yes. um, with, with SAP. Um, that's, that's worth looking up to, to anybody listening as well and how a prospective um, sort of legal letter earned SAP sort of circa $270 million. Oh yeah. And you that's there's, a, there's, a, there's a teaser for you. Oh yeah. And that 17 million is a drop in the bucket for SAP. You know I mean? Like that's small change. Sorry, 270 million. Still, to, that's I know companies that spend more than that on them annually. All I meant is, yeah. if that meant that I went from them SAP for you know two hundred something million, and I was able to get out from under because I know they're predators. I'm not saying they are. I'm not saying they're not. That's not my job. But there are yeah. a lot of companies that spend a lot of money with them, and yeah. where they just say, you know, it's not worth it. We yeah. we value our relationships more than that, and so. But, but but equally too, you think you think about it from SAP's point of view, they will have lawyers on retainer year round, year round yes. year. That letter won't have cost them anything. Right. That letter has gone gone to a, a vendor. They actually asked for double, which is why the kind of figure around the 270 mark was about halfway. They settled halfway, the client in question. And um, yeah, a lawyer's letter. That's what it costs. Thanks very much. That's that's a nice bit of paper right there. But I would suggest that that 270, that company is going to be trying to get out from under using that product. And that may be two years worth of, uh, of sales. 
Oh, the, well, I mean, the, 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 the switching costs involved in moving from a system like SAP is it's expensive, is gargantuan, gargantuan. And it gets worse the larger you are as an organization. So um, and it's not as if there's a litany of players in that space anyway. So, right. All I was getting at is they may lose that much in sales. So they're they're going to be hesitant to hit that nuclear button. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, SAP, oh, yeah, absolutely. There's 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 the potential for uh, for bad publicity. As they say there's no such thing as bad publicity. Oh, yes, there is. Oh, yes. Especially yeah. because a lot of those, when I say that they go away, they may not buy this add-on BI tool. They may go third-party BI tool, which Ooh. is expensive. They may not go to you know some of these bolt-ons that SAP acquires a, a software publisher and you have the choice to to use their their branded you know integration or use some third party i that's why i always think that these uh, software vendors these publishers it's probably not wise to be seen as an aggressive you know type of entity well it it, it, it can go right down to the other scale as well so i knew a particular right. um university here in the uk who were having um joyous times with uh, one of the um major software vendors and purely based around a dispute of about 80,000 pounds. So we're going to be getting about $100,000. And it, it wasn't the money so much, but it was the way it was actually being handled. It meant that there was an internal university policy to say, all of that vendor software is getting out of the university IT estate. We are ripping it out. We are not giving them grounds to come back and, and abuse us so badly. Yep. And then that shows up on the news and they lose five times that, 20 times that by people saying, I'm an alumnus there. I'm not going to use that software either. You know well, what I mean? That that and also word will get round the, the university hierarchy, too. And it's one of the worst places, I would argue, to to have a bad reputation, right. because it then means that the lecturers won't teach on their software. Right. That's a good point. And if I have ever known trying to figure out how to choose words lightly people who love their stance and are immovable objects it's usually university lecturers right it's not, they're not like the most oh you're right that is a good point kind of people you know what i mean they're like this is the way it's always been and yes. so so i say that tongue-in-cheek because i taught a class this last summer and so i i am them and so you know i mean this is just one of those things that that these software publishers do what they do. They do it well. You as a large company, small company, university, whatever, you don't do this well. And you need to have professional help. I think if I was going to sum up this whole Deloitte Global ITAM study would be the point that most organizations realize they need help to solve this organizational problem. Yeah. Absolutely. So know where you are. That's that's first and foremost. Know where you are. Know where you want to go. Um, again, I've been in too many organizations that where they say, oh, we want best in class. We want world class. And, you know, I can I can roll out a very nice, tidy, racist chart come spreadsheet of what best in class actually looks like. And that's when the horns come back slightly. It's like, no, let's well, let's just settle for good enough. Yes. And that's fine, too. But but just be realistic in your expectations. Understand that you know little steps a long way will will eventually get you there. And and let but but take those steps. 
Oh yes, and I I'm very I'm a big believer in in uh, taking the incremental approach because it's always going to get you further. It's kind of like the compound. I use the analogy of compound interest, right? You know, you take these old people that put their money in three, four, five percent interest, and then you know over 40, 50 years, they're like, look at all this did. I didn't touch it, and that's mm-hmm. how this incremental. I feel like us making. improvement a year doesn't feel like much, but it's over three, four years, we've really come a long way. It is year on year, isn't it? Then at that point. Yeah. So it's, it does, it does add up quite nicely. Yeah. So that's how I see that incremental because most people do not have the people or the funds to do a big bang, you know, like, Hey, we're going to tackle this. So they have to make these incremental steps, this incremental progress until they do get the resources to do it right. Yeah. And equally to that big bang approach assumes that you've got a massive training budget right. to, to school people in new ways of working. No, it doesn't rarely, does, rarely doesn't happen. Rarely happens with a salmon and ITAM program. It's always like, well, don't we just expect people to know this stuff? Right. Yep. And also to pile on having IT people read uh, software contracts probably isn't a good thing either. I mean, they're, <laughs> they're hired for their technology acumen, not their, their legal jargon acumen. And so uh, anyway, Rory, it's been great having you with us. Any parting words or anything you would like to tell us about that you're working on? So just to let you know, um, and I did did do a blog about it recently, that process kit that we uh, we recently dropped hints about, um, we we got it, we said that it was aligned to Dash One and, and, Lots of organizations will say that, yes, we do best, best in class sound, we do best in class item. Um, but somebody on LinkedIn said, is it aligned to Dash 8? I was like, I, I'm on the committee. I'm not sure what Dash 8 actually is. Um, and what it is, is a, it's um, essentially a, um, a matrix by which you benchmark a body of work against Dash 1. So I, I went through that and I put our body of work against Dash 1. And um, I can honestly say now that we are now upon the ITAM standards website as one of only two organizations in the world um, that has got a body of work against the latest provision of the ISO 19770-1 standard. So I'm feeling rightly proud about now of our efforts, mine efforts and, and Kylie Fowler's. I have to doff my cap in the direction of Kylie because she uh, she kept me to task on all of that work. So. Um, it's it's out there it's available you can go to the sam charter website and get hold of a copy i I would absolutely recommend that you do if if you took part in this survey strangely enough because i think you need the help (laughs) all right and uh i probably need a different kind of help but that's a different story (laughs) i don't want to start a linkedin poll on what kind i do need but that might kind of podcast jeff i'm not that qualified (laughs) i uh i might get uh you know different types of answers Rory, it's great having you on once again. I hope you'll consider coming on in the near future. Thank you for lending your guidance and your, your expertise to us. Thanks, Jeffrey. It's always a pleasure to come. I'm happy to come on anytime. Thank you. Have a great day. You too, sir. Take care.